Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. I'm always stoked when I do these. Actually, I wait until I'm stoked to do these. I find it really hard to record an intro if I'm not somewhat inspired about foiling, which is tough because when I have downtime, I don't want to produce the podcast because I'm uninspired. But then when there's waves, I don't have a lot of time to produce the podcast. So it's a a Catch-22. And if you guys haven't seen the show Catch-22, I I mean, I loved the book, but um, they did a great job with the show. It's a complete sidebar there, but um, it's really fantastic. Um, Today's guest on the show is the legendary Mike Raper. Mike is the brand manager, head of North Kite uh, and Foils right now. He had his start in the industry 30 years ago, uh, was a part of the very beginnings of kiting, and took on a big role at Cabrina, Neil Pride, and then three, four years ago, came on board with North and now has grown North to be the second most successful kite brand in the marketplace. And now North in the last 18 months or so has taken on foiling. And now there's so much I love about the conversation with Mike. It is not often that we get to interview someone, get to learn from someone who has been a part of board sports for such a large uh, span of time and on the industry side. I mean, we have a lot of athlete guys. I mean, I think Kalama is somebody who kind of, his career has been in both veins, but you know, the Tom Carroll's and some of the other legends who have been on the show are are mostly athletes and athlete focused in our discussion. But Mike is someone who has um, more, has done more for the sports that he's been a part of from the brand manufacturing research and development side. And so we we go into a lot of that. We talk about his relationship with Neil Pride, uh, learning, mentoring under Neil Pride and what that experience was like, like. Uh, the cultures across the different places that he's lived. He's lived in a lot of different uh, water-centered uh, areas. Um, and yeah, it's just a fantastic conversation with someone that I was very excited to learn from and get an insight into what I think the foil, uh, the, the future of foiling is somewhat going to be like. I mean, I think that our sport is going to grow uh, at the same rate or at a more exponential rate that it has been growing, which is going to allow bigger brands to pour in more money in research and development. And for better or worse, I think that it benefits the rider. I think it's going to be a lot harder for some of the smaller companies over the next five to 10 years, but I think the gear is going to get better. And we, we, we talk about that. We dive into that aspect of our point in the evolution of foiling right now and get Mike's thoughts on that and the place of the little guys rapid development at the beginning, because you can iterate quicker. And then as uh, the bigger brands come in, they have bigger budgets. They can spend more time, longer product development cycles, 
but with more um, data behind what they're doing. And so, yeah, it, it was fantastic to learn from Mike. I'm a big fan of their Nova wings. I like the sonar foil that they've just released. One of the reasons we waited to do this podcast was because we wanted the sonar to come out first. And that has just now been announced about a week ago. And I think it's going to be one of the better high aspect foils on the market as far as efficiency goes. If you're in good downwind conditions or on the wing, I think it's going to be a fantastic foil. Um, I'm very excited to test some of the new tails. I have good feels on it already, but the tail that I'm riding is an antiquated tail. It's not a tail I'd ride on any other setup. And we also discuss, you know, why they haven't decided to go with the, I mean, I don't know if it's an industry standard, but the kind of more generic tail uh, size. So you could use a Katie Maui or a Kajir 158. I think tails are going to be like fins in the future. I think that people are going to have quivers and want to purchase foils based on having access to that. So uh, I didn't get Mike to acquiesce on the show, but I'm going to keep pushing because I think at some point they'll see the light and realize that they don't have to, uh, they can still do all their own stuff, but just give us the ability to to be able to test because you can get so many different feels out of a foil and it makes such a big difference. Um, and that dovetails beautifully into something that we've been working on lately for the foil that we're working on is we've have, have taken on the tail, the 140, 170 are done. So we've been focused on creating a tail to go with it. And golly, man, it is, I say it's a game of millimeters, but we're down to a game of uh, quarter millimeters at this point, you know, we've got a design that we really like for the tail. And now we're testing the foil, the, the tail in different thicknesses gradiated by parts of a millimeter for the thickness and the amount of difference between a tail that is 6.8 millimeters thick and 7.3 millimeters thick is astounding. And I mean, we're going <laughs> to do one in the middle of that and for the next variation. It just kind of blows my mind. I mean, this project has been fun on so many levels, but it's, it's all the stuff that you want to do and you want to test. And now I've been able to, to work with Cliffy and say, hey, what if we just do this? We just take this off. Or if we reduce the camber by, uh, you know, a quarter and the amount of difference that all that is making and the different feels that you're able to get out of something, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, a good foil and five tails and you could probably hit most conditions. Um, and I love that. So, um pretty epic. Uh, what else should we dive into? Boards, portal, flight designs has been going very well. Um, we have, yesterday I was out at a spot up here and there were six portals in the water, which was awesome. There was MJ, Transmedium 17, Transmedium 19. Um, and uh, Damo was on his little uh, MJ. He's got a four two MJ. It's like 18 liters, pretty sick. But it was an epic session. It was super fun to see all the boards in the water. And it was almost like a, a feedback session because I was just watching and then asking for feedback on on the feels. And yeah, everybody seems to be really stoked on all their, their new boards. So stoked on that. We have one Transmedium 19 that is unspoken for. That's the only board that we have right now. We have another batch coming in about a week. So if someone's interested in the Transmedium 19, it's 4.5 by... 19 at 35 liters and it's the board in my last few clips it's, it's a brand new one of, of that model so 
check it out. And the last thing that I will say is, God, I hope we don't, Mike and I talk about this too on the show. I hope that we don't lose the community of how cool foiling is right now. Um, just had someone come into town. They were coming in. They would happen to be in Jacksonville, bought one of the boards, rad, uh, guy from Charleston named Chili. Um, they came in, he and his girl, and, you know, it's just super cool to see the froth that's happening in these different parts. I, it'd be really fun to do kind of like a Southeast uh, U.S. foil meetup here in Jacksonville and for a weekend just hang out on the beach and, and get to know everybody and you know, hopefully it's good surf or wind or something um, because everybody's so awesome and coming from different sports and hearing the journeys that people have gone through to get to foiling and then how stoked they are. Like Chile is a... Um, solid snowboarder spent a bunch of time in utah and he's like i don't think i ever need to snowboard again i mean it's just like wild i mean it's like i'm getting all the same feels as you know groomers he used to go up and um fucking you could just hit groomers at daybreak you know first chair up and now he's getting those same feels on the foil and that's my favorite thing on foil too are those kind of swoopy tight turns banks so Love it, and if you're not on the forum yet, check it out. A lot of cool discourse happening on the forum, forum.progressionproject.com. It's growing a lot quicker than I thought. It's a lot more valuable to me than I thought it would be. I'm getting ideas and getting to read um, insights from some of the best guys in the sport. So go check it out. And with that, let's dive in with Mike from North. I hope you guys enjoy the show and be well. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. I feel like I know you in person. I've, I've listened to you so many times. It's been awesome. Doing such a good job. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I'm super stoked. We've been trying to do this for so long and I think it's, I think it's great that we waited because now I've spent a ton of time on North Gear, so it'll give us a lot more to discuss. So I think the timing's worked out, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to do this. No, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate you kind of giving us giving us a little bit of time as well. Um, just love, I, just, I, I kind of almost want to start and just say thank you for putting all this energy and effort and insight into a sport that we all, you know, we're all frothing about it, but you're just the, the interviews you do and the people you you share with and and put out there and the information that gets shared is just every time I always I see a new a new episode pop up and I know myself and the rest of the team everyone kind of immediately clicks on it and has a good listen. It's just so insightful and and so varied as well. You eclectic group of people you brought on. It's been awesome. Well, thank you. It's uh it's such a cool group of people. The, the foiling community is so amazing and i hope we don't lose it i know that it's it's going to change but it i think it's such a beautiful thing to be a part of right now and so yeah i think the the show is just all about the the people in the community and i think that's what makes it super fun to do and well thank you um yeah no, and, it's, and, it's, and i think on that note you know you, you look at all these different sports that have started over time and you get those early frothers and i think that that passion and motivation and and inspiration always comes from from the top, those first ones. And sort of, I think we're kind of all the spokespeople for the sport. So 
the more we can share the stoic. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about the future. I think there's so many unridden lumps and bumps around the world that aren't heavy surf spots. It's just going to be epic getting everybody out there. It's kind of like, it feels like a, that next revolution after the sort of sixties and seventies of surfing, um, coming into this, this next little, uh, pocket of, of, um, fun. It's going to be awesome. I completely agree. What makes me most excited about foiling is that surfing always had the feel of scarcity and as crowds, but you just knew it was all going away. I mean, spots that I surfed in Costa Rica 20 years ago by ourselves, you, you never catch that spot by yourself anymore. And the things that I love about foiling, I don't see them being much different in 20 years from now. So it's, and I think the globe is just going to open up, as you said. And so I think it's this sport to where, we're not going to have that same scarcity. It's going to feel very abundant. And I'm really hoping that that is what can help shape the community to being more inclusive and fun than I feel like surfing has become. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think, I think there's also kind of that, that the joy of, of having so many varied conditions, which you can foil in, mm-hmm. um, you know, those, those shallow sandbars and stuff you'd never look at. Um, maybe on a longboard or a sup or something, but, um, you know, from kiting, you know, we come from a kite surfing, kiteboarding background as well. And sort of that, that was kind of same in the beginning of kiteboarding sport. When that started, you know, you were, you were pioneering these new locations and, and riding these new spots and searching, adventuring, exploring around the globe. And, and I think foiling has got a huge element of that as well. You know, not so much sup when it came around because it was kind of still picking on those surf breaks, but I think kiting, and we went through that in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, and just going to all these new locations, go, holy shit, I can get out and ride that wave out the back. Um, we could never do that on a surfboard. And I think foiling is really similar. Yeah. I, I did not have the same kite background. I grew up as a shortboarder and kind of jealous of the kiting, the freedom of kiting. And I do feel like foiling is similar and that's actually the first thing before we fully dive in um give us give everyone a background of who you are what you do with north your progression through board sports from you know accomplished rider professional now to running one of the bigger brands in the market to give us some some you know foundation to to move forward for the rest of the conversation yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, briefly, um, as brief as I can be, so I'm a bit of a talker, I'm sorry. You don't have to um, be. I, yeah. <laughs> sorry to say that again. I said, you do not have to be brief. We've got time. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I kid grew up, um, grew up on the water and uh, just, I was born in New Zealand, but grew up in Hong Kong. My dad was an engineer, moved there in the sort of late 70s. So super lucky to grow up in Hong Kong, which is warm and tropical. Um, and at that stage, pretty unpolluted, which was nice. Um, and just grew up with sailing and bodyboarding and eventually found surfing when I was like seven, eight and started to parents loved Bali. Um, sort of went there when I was eight, went to sort of did a few sessions, a few weeks. And I think we had about three weeks in Kuta, um, in Bali and, and just, that's when I just went, oh my God, what's this? You know, and found that, found the whole surfing bug. Um, we were lucky, you know, being based in Hong Kong, mum and dad, um, so spent all of their income on traveling and that kind of started in and around Asia and they were lucky. They were, you know, dad was a sailor. So we, um, and mum as well. And, uh, so we were lucky to kind of grow up in water and, um, that progressed and, you know, windsurfing came along and in, uh, 
when was that, sort of 80s. Um, we were lucky. Hong Kong was a hub base for Neil Pride and Garster and some of these big windsurf brands were all based in manufacturing Hong Kong, China. So I was I was kind of, you know, being in that sailing community. Um, Dad was rear Commodore Hong Kong Yacht Club. So I kind of grew up as a Grom in the Yacht Club and um, got into the sort of laser sailing and did, um, you know, flying 15 worlds and all those sort of things and just really frothing on the sailing. But that whole windsurfing was kind of in the background and see these guys flying past. And I was like, that's what I want to do. You know, I had a, remember your podcast last week, had Tom Carroll. I had a poster of him in my room, on my wall. I had Robbie Nash windsurfing, that whole sort of, that whole, I was just a young teenage grom and sort of growing up with that, just got got really, really excited by the windsurfing site. And uh, moved to New Zealand when I was about 16. So I was kind of getting into some bad stuff in Hong Kong, wasn't really hugely academic, um, severely dyslexic, like a reading age of about seven when I was 14. So I just, you know, anything sports, I just threw myself into it and just really, really enjoyed it. So moving to New Zealand, suddenly there's, there's surf every day and there's, there's wind every day and and uh, just really got into the windsurfing side of it um, for school university. Um, studied fine arts at university, but uh, bombed out of that, I think, about six months ago. My parents are pretty pissed, but um, anyway, there you go. And uh, I, I bought a one-way ticket to, to Maui, and um, it was sort of 96, 97. Um, and uh, it's been about just under a year there, um, learning to windsurf, learning to surf, doing a little bit of tone, um, which is pretty cool. Got a, one of the shop owners took me out a few days, so just got bugging on that. And then um, tried kiteboarding, um, sort of, I think it was 97, and sort of really, really, really privileged, really lucky to be one of the first people to get into, uh, first, you know, handful, probably 50 people around the world to get into kiteboarding. Um, to try it in those early first sessions, doing downwinders, almost drowning, and you know all that. So you, you probably heard the story, but um, yeah. And then we we came back to New Zealand, and really privileged to be living in Christchurch, and that's where Underground Adrian Roper, who runs Axis now, mm-hmm. um, he had a he had a previous business shaping windsurfboards called Underground. So we had board building side there. And then we had uh, Peter Lynn kites, which is, they made these massive, um, you see those, you know, torn up to festival, you see those giant octopuses in the sky and those sort of things. And they were making these amazing traction kites, um, the ones where you could ride along on the buggy on the beach. So super efficient kites for the day. And this is kind of pre-inflatable, inflatable kites. And um, we literally had a backstrap wrapped around your back. And to get out your, your ejections, you literally put your hands together like a diving position above your head and the harness would just slip off you. And uh, that was that was how crazy dodgy it was. So you can imagine being like a cage so out to sea. Yeah, riding a wave and you just completely stall it or something. You've just got to ditch your kite and you'd have to wrap it up. They they kind of half floated, wrap them up, swim back into the beach. But those were the kind of I – was, I was really lucky just to be – those super early days, you know, those, those first days of we sit in the beach afterwards, you go, shoot, that didn't work, that didn't work. And that's where kind of I think we discovered this passion for designing products, just making products better, easier, safer, higher performance, um, easy to use. So we were lucky. It was like this little epicenter down in Christchurch. And that's kind of similar to, to what's happened now in Auckland. You know, we've got Axis and Armstrong and, there's a whole bunch of brands here in New Zealand. We're really lucky with the conditions we have. Anyway, sorry, I go on. Um, but yeah, that's that's that kind of that's that's where the bug started for kiting, and then uh, moved back to 
Oh, when, yeah, I suppose you've got time. I'll keep going. I'm ranting. Sorry. No, it's but great. The, I love it. The, the, yeah. And then from there, that was sort of late nineties. And we, we just rapidly moved from these two and a half meter long boards down to sort of these, these wakeboards. And we were trying surfboards. We even got McDonald's lunch trays out and just to see if we could uh, ride them, which you can, by the way, um, you're just kind of proving that, that what could work, what didn't work. And, and, and we were all, you know, we were, we were lucky, you know, Cindy Mosey, um, was based here in New Zealand. She, you know, five-year world champion, traveling the world for those those late nineties, early noughties. And uh, Kane Hardo and and I was just a really big crew. Uh, DK and and the whole all the guys um, down here. And we were lucky, you know, we got to these these Kiwi kids going out into the world, seeing what's going on, bringing it back, and then just developing it here. So and this is kind of pre-social media. So you know, we were we were Kiwis, kind of have this really ingenious um way of of designing products so we were we were lucky to to be in this little epicenter where the product was just developing so quickly and we were at the forefront of that only in the beginning and uh you know i used to get back to hong kong um holidays and stuff during university i used to uh and after sorry after university and, and go back and i started an importing business so i was always up in hong kong china and i kept going into neil pride's office and saying hey Neil, you know, because they were the biggest, they were making 300,000 windsurf sales a year at that stage, you know, windsurfing was massive global in- industry and, you know, really looked up to it, obviously. But I just had this desire that kiteboarding was more efficient and I guess time's proven that. But I used to get back and he said, Neil, Neil, you, you know, you've because he and dad sailed together competitively and um, I used to go, Neil, you know, you, you've got to get into kiteboarding. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I think at about 98, 99, he said, Mike, tell me, tell me more about this kiteboarding. So we started uh, started talking, and and that was about the the same time um, he hooked up with Pete Cabrina mm-hmm. and bought the rights to the the name Cabrina, and and Pete um, he and Pete started the Cabrina brand, um, kiteboarding brand. So I was I was super lucky to be sort of involved with that from about two thousand onwards, and um, and and get into into that side of it. But uh, yeah, I had, I had a pretty life-changing moment. I went to a couple of the early Red Bull Airlord International competitions and Red Bull competitions, and managed to break my back um, paragliding oh. um, on a light window, which was pretty hectic. But it it really made me stop and and realize like I want to. I feel so passionately about this kiteboarding. I want to. I want to get it out there. And uh, and I kind of sold the. The importing exporting business and and just said right i'm just going to do this kiteboarding full-time so went and started with neil in 2000 wrapping agent for new zealand then australia then kind of went over to live in italy uh, we had a brand headquarters over there in lake garda like or just north of lago de garda in in sort of south Citoro, south um sort of north of italy and and just so this whole kiteboarding scene was amazing. It was just starting. And, you know, I obviously reasonably knowledgeable about product at that stage. So I became their sales manager um, based there for, for about a year um, off and on. But I'd kind of come back to New Zealand, Australia for the summers and compete a little bit, sort of Marimbula and, and early days and Mamba and events like that. And and then and then just it, it continued from there. You know, I just eventually Neil said, hey, look, do you want to do you want to instead of traveling around the world the whole time, do you want to, um, sorry, my messages on off. Do you want to come and, and run the commercial side of the business from Hong Kong, um, which, you know, growing up in, it was, it was a big, 
it was a really big choice. You know, it's, do you do you stay with on the water every day, or do you? I was getting late twenties at that stage. I'm like, or do you go and chase the dream of getting behind the brand and, and involved in the commercial side? And um, I don't know if it's the right choice, but but and I don't regret it. But it was it was definitely a bit of a sacrifice. You know, it was four hours to fly to Bali if you wanted to go proper surfing, but you did have the whole of Asia on your back doorstep. Um, so it wasn't too bad. And uh, anyway, uh, long story short, trying to, sorry, um, we 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 started, yeah, just traveled around Asia, got to ride some amazing places, was involved in the manufacturing, um, just all through, you know, from Thailand to China to north of China, south of China, just understanding, learning how manufacturing works and and how the processes and systems and how to how to manage a product team and how to manage the sort of the commercial, the sales marketing side of the business. You know, Pete ran the marketing from Maui um, and the product development from Maui, but we were kind of heavily involved in the product, the, the back end of the product development from, from Hong Kong. Um, an amazing time, just just incredible. But uh, every all good things come to an end. I was lucky I, I had an amazing mentor um, called Neil Pride, who'd been in the industry for so long and he literally was he was in his office, you know, just you know, 15, 10 meters away from me. And he bang his fist and spit and roar at me. But it's it was incredible lessons, you know, just learning from somebody with such good morals, ethics, and just a, a view of the world. So I was I was really, really lucky with that. You know, it's just having having such a good mentor and, and working with so many amazing people. And uh, but that that all kind of came to an end when you're finished and that was sort of 2016 and uh, 15, 16 and I decided to move back to New Zealand um, just because I, I really wanted to get back on the water. Hong Kong was driving me crazy, absolutely crazy. It was, you go out foiling and, and um, yeah, kite foiling in those days, and and just the amount of rubbish in the water um, was just insane. Like every 20, 30 meters, you'd hit a plastic bag or ride over a light bulb or hit a nappy or it was just, it was awful. It really was bad. And you come out of the water covered in diesel oil or something horrific. And I think, you know, Hawaii and Florida and Zealand, we, a lot of people take it for granted, but there's parts of the world that are just pretty horrific. So yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a mover really. Um, and, and sort of changing, changing job. And, and, and about that stage, that's when I was approached by the North technology group. Um, the, owners of the the North brand. They'd been licensing North to boards and more, a German brand for uh, Austrian brand for many, many years. And uh, they're in the process of taking, taking that back, that brand back. And they kind of approached me and said, you know, um, what, you know, just for advice in the beginning, sort of early 2018. And, uh, and, you know, if, if we were to take the brand back, how would you do it? What would you do? And I said, you know, this is, I bring these people in and, I'll probably set it up this way and keep the branding and marketing essence of the brand here in New Zealand because you know, we're super lucky. We've got really talented, creative people in New Zealand in combination with some major, amazing engineering now, you know, sort of boat builders and and that whole naval architectural side of the business, which New Zealand's pretty well known for for foiling and stuff. So, uh, you know, we didn't know it was foiling at that stage. It was kiting. And... Um, so we just kind of we we started it here. Eventually, it's these this advice turned into a job offer, and and we put a team together, and I, I made a five year budget plan, and I think we're about four years into that now, and we're kind of matching it, so it's great. Um, and yeah, and that that was that was the start of of North really. 
That's and then foiling foiling popped up. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been I'd been lucky to to get into foiling um, in 2002. I think I bought one of the the early aluminium click-in boots. You know, the snowboard boots. You probably heard the story <laughs> with uh, the the click-ins, and that was crazy. That was crazy. And uh, yeah, and, and then kind of didn't really fall much again from 2003 four until about 2012 13, um, where kite foiling really started you know foil started really progress at that stage and we were lucky enough to yeah hong kong light wind conditions not super strong not known for wind and known for rubbish but not known for wind so just get out on the foil like every chance i had it was either supping in the late noughties early 2000s we we were cabrini got pretty heavily into sup for about three or four years um but just realized it was a race to the bottom with the prices and we i made a decision to close that part of the business and get out of it um, I didn't see the future in it. We just really focused on kite. But the foiling, we were lucky at that stage. Um, foiling really started to, to progress. And uh, yeah, I just got the bug from foiling from, from those early days. You know, that, that sensation of just the incredible efficiency, you know, moving away from surfboards and twin tips that have got so much friction as they ride across the water to something that just floats and you can jump and you can go fast and you can ride in conditions, you know, from super light to super strong. Um, Anyway, that, and that's it. And they're north, and obviously the foilings come around, and we've you know we had to focus the first few years, couple of years, heavily on in 2018-19 on on kiting and getting our range of kiteboard products um, really pumping. And I think we're in a solid sort of second position in that industry now. Um, but man, I tell you, when that foil bites, it bites hard. Um, that you know the 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 just I I just remember seeing Kai and that that um Fiji video where he just pumped back out. I was like, no, there's no way. I just never saw that coming. Ever. <laughs> I never thought we we're gonna be able to pump. And that's when I still get goosebumps now talking to you about it. But and that was just that was life changing. I was like, oh shit, here we go. This yeah. is this is exciting. Right, we've got to focus on kite, we're to get that. And now, you know, now since sort of early 2000 we've been made our first wings and and got our first um foil system into the market 2019 um but you know we were we were a little bit distracted in the beginning with the kite side and couldn't really focus and you know enough on foil but um i think over the past year we've kind of put the plans in place now with the team to to really maximize and leverage everything we know everything we have into foiling um we definitely see a, a really bright future with with wing foiling and and foiling full stop prone foiling um toe in wake downwinding like it's, it's all just yeah it's it's like kiteboarding there's so many disciplines you can kite surf you can twin tip you can foil you can wake skate you can there's always different avenues exactly the same with foiling um and here's a whole new sport that that you now is being involved in the beginning of kiting and now to be involved in the beginning of foiling is just like a it's a dream come true for a kid who, or now an adult but i still feel like a kid but you know it's it's just that 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 same emotion and feeling is just just amazing and to share that with others and to try and make product better products i mean you you must know it with designing foils now it's like it's such a buzz super it, like it's so fun it's so fun and you know it's so there's a couple of different ways we could take this conversation right now. Let's do this. Let's start with, you've been a part of kiting um, from the inception. You saw SUP come and go. I mean, I say go, but people still do it, but as a mm. it's very small now. Yeah. And now you're seeing it again in foiling. What do you think the similarities are and differences between kiting 
and foiling for the first, say, say we're in year four right now of like a commercial foil market. Um, mm. How do you see the first four years in, in kiting as compared to foiling? And then what went wrong with the, with the sub market? So similarities and what went wrong. Okay. Well, no, um, with sub, um, yeah, what, what went wrong with sub, but what are the similarities and differences between foiling and, and kiting? And can you extrapolate into what foiling is going to, to become through that? I'll give it a go. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I, I, I think kiting, kiting opened everybody's eyes to the possibilities that are out there. Um, I think it's so diverse and so versatile. You can ride in so many different conditions. And I guess foiling is kind of the same. Um, you can, there's so many different disciplines of and ways of riding energy, ocean energy. You know, you don't, it's not just like sup and surf. We've got to have pretty steep, peaky wave. And they're very narrow, specific conditions. Um, and I think kiting, you just need two beautiful elements, water and wind. And the alchemy of those elements coming together, that creates some magic. Um, with foiling, you don't even need the wind. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you, you just need a lump of energy that's come from, you know, 3,000 miles away. To and, and as long as you can get on that lump, then you're off, you're away. And and I think foiling's even, it's, it's, I think it takes a higher level of skill for sure. And I think that's maybe the, the, the challenge we have as, as a, as a sport, um, is that, you know, you, you could be reasonably accomplished to get into foiling. And, and I guess it's that, that leads into how do you get into foiling? And I think most people, it's, it's probably two ways. Um, one is what I call boat foiling. So getting, getting anything that's got a, got a motor and an engine and normally it's family, friends teaching somebody to get up on foil. Um, and you know, those are, those are tough times for anybody that's, they, they look at it and I think we all, especially you, um, we all make it look so effortless. And I think when somebody sees falling, they go, Oh my God, that looks amazing. How am I going to get into that? And then they get up behind the boat and like, shit, <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> you know? It's, uh, I, I think it's, it, we make it look a lot easier than it is. So it's, it's challenging. So I think behind the boats one way, um, and I think from, from our perspective, from, from North, you know, we, we look at the wing foiling as a really uh, expansive avenue into getting up on foil, um, just using the power of the wind. Um, you know, there's so many yacht clubs, there's so many boat ramps, there's so many lakes, bodies of water around the world where you can step off out onto a board, you can paddle out, you can sit on your knees, you can you can feel at one with the ocean, the body of water, you, you get that, you get absorbed by the experience of being out there in nature. But most importantly, you, you've got this power source, which is a wing that get over time can get you up on foil. And it's, and it's a lot um, easier to get up on a wing on foil than it is on a kite. Let's say kites, you know, you've got long lines, you've got to launch on a beach. It's, you need a pretty wide beach. You need very specific conditions, pretty consistent wind. Whereas winging, you can get away with some pretty gusty winds. And as long as the water's reasonably flat, um, which there are a huge number of bodies of water around the world, which are pretty flat, you can get up and get riding pretty quickly and pretty easily. And once you've, once you've got that foiling bug, game on. You know, it's like, right, I, I know, you know, you've got 
20, 30 hours under your belt with with wing foiling, you then your ears kind of your head perks up. You're like a meerkat, you know. You're kind of looking around and you're going, "Shit, there's there's people over here um, prone foiling. There's people toe foiling um, jet skis, which is you know super efficient and 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 you and downwinding and and then you see this whole world of foil just opens up. And and I think once you get there, you're like, "Holy shit!" You know, I was already frothing and super excited on the wing foiling, and now there's more. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, what's next? And and I mean, that that's kind of where where I'm at anyway. And it's what I see with the, that that progression for a lot of people. I, I think once once you're up on foil, it's it's kind of like an epiphany. You know, kind of like, wow, this is the most efficient use of energy there is. You know, if you there, there is nothing more efficient. Um, and I, and I think it's like as humans, we're just incredibly lucky to to be alive now where you know where where we get to do this you know I'm, i look at my dad he's he's 76 77 um kiteboarding and uh, he took up kiteboarding with 65 so massive respect to him and uh, you know he's six foot four he's like super tall dude and 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 he's yeah and he's he's loving his kiteboarding and, and he's been watching this foiling it's like this is the summer you know we're just coming into spring now so i'm oh, just in summer and I think this is a summer. He said, "Yeah, I, I'm. I'm going to give this winging a go." So I'm quietly optimistic. Like if if my dad can do it, I'll, I'll let you know in six months' time. But if if my dad can do it, then shit, anyone can. You know, it's 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 uh it's pretty cool. That that's all time. I was looking through your Instagram um, a little bit here before we recorded, and I saw that clip of your dad on the wing, and I thought that was amazing. And then a couple posts later, you posted your daughter in her first toe session. And that's such a beautiful thing to have water sports span three generations. Have you guys shared some beautiful moments, the three of you in the water together? We actually haven't. And it's I, it's one of the, it's, man, you picked up on it quickly. It's one of my regrets. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm quietly optimistic. Well, loudly optimistic. I'm telling you um, that, that we're going to do it this summer. You know, it's just to, to get all three of us on the water at once would be pretty special. Um, you know, the, the, kids are you know they they foil a little bit not a lot but they're getting into it i'm hoping this will be the summer of, of getting them on a wave fingers crossed um and obviously the toe surf they both surf um they love shortboarding and it just being in the ocean i mean they, they anything from wakeboarding to you name it they they give everything a bit of a go so um they're kind of grown up in the water as kids so but it, yeah it'd be pretty pretty special if we could how many kids do you have how old are they just to um, 16 going on 17 um, and just turned 18. So, um, yeah, glorious, lovely. Uh, um, man, I mean, you know, you've got kids. Yeah. Pretty, I think a little bit younger than mine, but or similar age. How old are yours? Uh, 13 and 15, about to be 14. 15. Yeah, so a little, little bit younger than a little bit younger than mine. But, man, just sharing that stoke with them um, is, and I think it's contagious. I mean, you're probably the same. You can't help but share why you love stuff. And uh, and I think they've they've kind of seen the possibilities. I'm hoping so. Fingers crossed they'll they'll kind of keep taking it up. They they haven't fully jumped into it yet. Um, but I'm I'm just quietly tapping away. You know, it's just you know I had them on surfboards when they were about three. So they they've you know it was started with over the wave, under the wave, just keeping it exciting as a as a as a young kid. But um yeah, I'm hoping they'll they'll get into it. But if they don't, you know, it's fine. Also, you know, everyone picks their own paths and chooses their own directions. Hopefully, yeah. some rubs off. I got one of the two. I got one into music and and one into surfing. So I share a passion with each. Nice. <laughs> Which is yeah. good. See, that's so magical. 
It's and that, that dude, it's all about the passion. It's yep. all about the passion. If you just, I don't care what they do, as long as they're passionate and excited about something, you know, it's just because it just it's it's so contagious. Yeah, and I think a shared passion is a great way. We'll see if this holds true in fifteen to twenty years, but a great way to to continue a cool relationship as you move into these different phases of life. If you have something that you love to go do together, this is my hope yeah. that we'll be able to spend more time together. And I had, we had a great weekend here, Mike, where um, that storm passed. We were supposed Dude, to record so this. Oh God. We were supposed to record this last Thursday. And that was the day that hurricane Ian was like spinning right off the coast. It was yeah. the out back were 19 feet at 10 seconds. And this is Florida. What? <laughs> that doesn't man unheard of for Florida. Hey, yeah, we lost like half of our dunes. Uh, we got really oh, lucky and we didn't have flooding. So, um, but this weekend we had two beautiful surf days and uh, my son and I, we got, we went on a boat with a couple of buddies, RT and Matt and give him a shout out and got some epic outside shoals on Saturday. And then Sunday we got this other spot and it was really cool to see my son who we've had a really bad run of surf here. And then our whole family had COVID and it was just the best weekend that we've had together in a long time, last couple months. So you know what? Yeah. It's it's days like that that make you appreciate it, eh? Yes. Yeah. You, you go through the you go through the doldrums sometimes, you go through the shit days, maybe you got too much work or something's sick, or you know, there's always there's always something. But then when you're out there again with with loved one, especially, really it's I think it's extra special. Um and you just sit and you kind of take a moment, look around, go, holy crap, this is life's good, you know. Yeah, life's real good. And, and, it, and especially probably for you, because Florida, all those sandbanks would have all moved around and you would have had peaks all over the place. Well, out back, like right here where I live, it's a lot different and it's a little bit too deep now. But then this other spot just went from being like pretty bad for the last couple of years to all time. Like whatever the hurricane did, the way it moved sand around, we have like this now full 200 meter inside bank. Uh, wow. It's good. So, wow. yeah. That's amazing. Oh, nice long, long may it stay. Heck yeah. Um, let's see here. You mentioned in the, your kind of history, life history there at the beginning, a couple things that I thought were really interesting. And one was, and you and I both did this, which is interesting. You left university with six months left. I want to know why you did that. Because <laughs> I did it too. No way. What'd you, you tell me yours first. I'm All right. So, so mine was my junior year in college, I got the job that I wanted to get when I got out, which was a, like a tech sales job, like a really good company, Bar Systems in Gainesville, Florida. And it took me about a year to see through that I this was not for me. It was not my path. And once that switch kind of flipped for me, I realized that the degree was only going to help me pursue things that I truly didn't want to do. And yeah. I didn't want that as a fallback plan. And so my yeah. parents thought I was crazy. Um, everyone kind of thought I was crazy, but I, I left that and I left school and then I quit that job about a year later. And then I've just done stuff I love doing since then. And it was a, in retrospect, probably not for everybody. This is not life advice if you're listening to this, but for me, <laughs> it, was, it was the right decision because I just, I, I operate better without a net. So that's yeah. mine. What's I your... Hear you. I hear you. Um, yeah, it sounds pretty similar, hey? Um yeah, I, I, look, I I ended up left Hong Kong because you know I wasn't I was kind of going off the rails a little bit. I um I was I was an academic as I mentioned, and mm -hmm. I, and I just 
it, Hong Kong was hugely academic. You know, everyone studied super hard. It was all about how well you did in math. And now it's just this dyslexic kid who just likes sports. So it's just the wrong place for me. Um, and I think mum and dad recognise that. And, and Hong Kong government, dad worked for Hong Kong government as an engineer, and they got this this free schooling. Um, so I just got sent off to a, a boarding school, basically, for my last two years of school in New Zealand. And um, best thing ever, you know, just suddenly wake up, big breakfast made for you, and then it's just sport before school. It's, it's you know, school all day and then sport after school. So, uh, and and there was surf and there was skiing, snowboarding. There was, you know, there was just every everything you can imagine was all on your back doorstep. And uh, I was lucky enough to just see it and take, you know, maximize the opportunity. Um, but more importantly, uh, just having good teachers and, and you know, I, I just found a love for art. And uh, in my in my last years of school, I just really threw myself into the artistic side, creative side, and got out. I was lucky. I got top New Zealand for my school um, exams for both in two art subjects. So I got this kind of scholarship to university, which, which kind of, I, I flopped into it. I fell into it. I wouldn't say I chose university, but it was like, well, what are you going to do now? Uh, okay, well, you got you, know, you got scholarship. You should go and do you should go and do study fine art. So I went sort of study photography. This is pre digital. I warn you, this is hours in the dark room. Um, so it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it it, it just felt unnatural spending all day. Oh, water sports guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't define myself at that at that stage. I don't think it was just more just frothy about sports and, and water sports specifically. Um, but but yeah, and then and then literally I just got you know three and a half years through six months to go, and I I just I'd been dreaming for you know Maui Hawaii was this 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 dream, and and I I'd, I'd been there as a kid and just loved it. You know, we were in sort of mum and dad were on the shore breaks and boogie boards and I just, you know, burnt to a crisp black as um, sort of pre-suntan cream days. Um, I'm pretty blonde or was blonde at the time. So it's like this little blonde brown kid um, who just loved the surf. So it was, I just always wanted to go back and, and you know, you see, you grow up in these, these heroes of windsurfing and surfing. And um, so, yeah, I just packed it all in. I, U.S. government required you to have two thousand dollars in your bank account, so I borrowed some money off my brother and put it in there for a few for a month. Awesome. Got a um, and then uh, and gave it back to him. I think I literally landed in Maui with about a thousand dollars in my pocket and uh, one way ticket, and just worked my ass off. You know, I was cleaning, scrubbing floors in Pahia for a, for a kitchen. You'd have to get up at three in the morning, and you'd but you'd be finished by nine. You got a nice breakfast, and that gave you enough energy to go out on the water um, down at Sprecks. Um, all day and uh just winter and um i think i got down to like 77 kilograms or something my natural weight sort of mid 50s uh mid 80s sorry so uh it's sort of 180 pounds so um yeah i just 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 said that's it and and just chased the whole windsurfing and realized i was pretty shit at it <laughs> and i kind of come to come to it way too late but that that was fine you know i just i just wave riding and 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 just being part of, uh, or start, not being part of, but understanding the Hawaiian culture um, and the aloha spirit, and and that which is pretty closely aligned with New Zealand and and uh, Maoridom in New Zealand, which is which is that that same sort of Pacific Island spirit. So just really lucky to to see that to be to to understand it and to travel, and then it kind of led from there. I was like, I just got back and I was like, I just don't want to. Um, I don't want to 
go down the photography route. I I, I just really want to make as much money as I can importing export. I was like, how do I make money so I can just windsurf more, you know, and, and then eventually kiteboard more. Um, so it's just like, right, well, I, I know China. So let's go up to China. Let's go and buy anything and everything. It was from Chinese bikes to Patagonia, sort of cut-off pants, North Face cut-off pants to puffer jackets to stickers, anything I could trade. And and actually did made some good money, and that allowed me to, for those two, three years there, to ride whenever it was windy and surf. Like just that's when I really got into my surfing as well, sort of longboarding and then shortboarding um, and really discovered shortboarding and, and sort of at a higher level. Um, towing, towing, surfing, that whole side of it. it but it's all that, all these water sports. They all go, they seamlessly link together because it's the same as foiling. Once you discover one, you're like, oh shoot, I want to do all these other ones. Um, so anyway, that long story short, that's that's kind of where it led. So you mentioned the impact that Neil Pride had on you as a mentor, and that is something that I think, at least in American culture, is lost. Um, I don't think that we appreciate or seek out mentors and I, and as far as my you know life has gone um i've had i've been you know lucky enough to have a few along the way that have been incredibly impactful can you talk about the relationship with neil pride a little bit and then also the role of of mentors and and the power of that and how you see that in comparison to formal formal education yeah i i think it's an interesting question the like Neil Neil Pride to me was here's this this kind of this captain captain of industry and here's a guy who who's got an incredibly successful business and making sports equipment and in his spare time you know he's in his fifties sixties seventies competitively racing big boats around the world and doing these amazing he was really into offshore racing and and um, and uh, and inshore racing, but, but, you know, and my dad was part of that. So it was like, I, I always looked up to them. They were people I looked up to, you know, his, his guys who got jobs and then in their spare time, they're, they're really passionate about sailing. And, you know, back in the day, they didn't have foiling and I'm sure they would have been foiling if it, it was the same, but it's, you know, back then you had sailing and um, sailing and surfing and these things. So, you know, I, I just, I respected I think I mentioned it, his morals, his ethics, the way he did business. You know, he was firm, he was fair, um, but he just chased. Uh, is, there was always a there's always a better way of doing things. Now, how could we do it more efficiently? How could we how could we push? You know, if you, you get an inkling or feeling that that's the right direction, how do you really go down that rabbit hole? How do you chase that intuition and that? And that that feeling that hey look I, I think there's a market here for this or I think people are looking for this feeling from a product and and that that's what we kind of chased and then and wow man I mean the best part was just the manufacturing side of it you know it's like from brand perspectives the biggest part of 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 running a brand is understanding how are they made and, and how can I work with an engineering design team. And most importantly, the the suppliers, the factories, the manufacturers, their staff and their design teams to find the best process for putting a product together um, that's going to be durable, last the test of time, but still high performance, lightweight and affordable. You know, like you've so hard to to make a product for a certain price. And by the time it gets to retail, it's, you know, it's you know, four or five times what it costs you. It's really frustrating. So every dollar counts at that that manufacturing um at that manufacturing side. So Neil 
So really, and and all the people around him helped us, me collectively, all all of us understand how to make products, how to how to manufacture something and package it. And oh man, it's just the the list of deliverables from a product management product product development side is is huge. And and I guess that that was a large large part from learning from him. Um, sorry, I forgot what your second question was. Oh, um. Just the the role of mentors in, um, like the oh, evolution of yeah. self versus formal education. Yeah, it, it's it. I I I've always been heavily mentor based. You, but you're probably the same. You know, you've got you you've surrounded yourself in the past couple of years of doing this with or longer because you had the sup as well. You know, progression. Like you've just surrounded yourself by by leaders or or thought leaders or. I hate using the word, but people who, people who, who you look up to, and and I think that that all rubs off. And I think anybody in life is, if you can surround. I mean, I'm I'm not a super smart guy, but I've I've been super lucky to surround myself by really smart, intelligent, passionate, motivated people, and that that all rubs off. And I and I think, you know, I've I was lucky having having you know, my parents and, and my family and, and even my brother, you know, it's like, they, they're just my wife and everyone like, you know, just everybody around me is just, just kept me inspired and, and motivated. And, and I guess, um, from a business perspective, like who better than, than Neil Pride himself, you know, to, to build a company like that, a brand like that, nobody, you know, pioneering, you know, windsurfing back in the day was pretty crazy, weird sport. And he worked out, you know, how to, how to make it and, how to get it onto a boat and ship it to Europe and find people to help sell it and service the warranties and service the financing and the, the sales and the administration of that is, is huge. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny where those, those mentors come from in life, but I, you know, like I'm, I'm in, I was just, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. Um, again, for the second time, I, I listened to the second time, uh, one of our writers, Daniel Kiriopa, mm-hmm. um, based down in Raglan and, um, just, definitely check out that podcast if you can it's inspirational um what he's doing for the sport and for surfing and, and water sports and getting young kids into the sport um yeah that that that, that inspires me it's i don't know it's just there's mentors everywhere as long as i think as long as you're open to it and you you realize who they are and you quickly latch on and, and learn as much from them as you can i i think that's that's how i view it i guess yeah. um maybe it's and add value easy, but... it has to be way hey. street I find it has to be a one, a two way street. You have to add value to, to the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, definitely. And I, and I think, I think you like I, I did with Neil, I guess, sort of young, passionate, motivated, knowledgeable about kiteboarding. You know, he wasn't, didn't kiteboard. So kite surf. Um, so I guess that was, that was my value at that stage. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, talking about kiting in the early New Zealand days, the pace of evolution that happened. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about is as we've seen foiling in the early years of evolution, and now as we're becoming a more mature sport, the the phases and the people who are involved in each of those steps. And so as an outsider, someone not involved in the industry, it seems as though small companies, almost uh, like a, a macro evolution happens at the beginning where, you know, everybody's trying to make wings and some things work and some things don't. And so you have like this, this um, kind of 
I don't want to say uglier, but more random process of evolution that happens at the beginning. And then as the best in, in practice um, start to emerge from that, you start to see kind of the bigger brands with bigger budgets and better teams and better manufacturing start to take over and take that macro process that's happened and then refine it. Does that seem like kind of what's played out in foiling? And it, and actually that leads into a, a bigger point, which is that I think that something like a, like a brand like North over the next five years, I mean, your manufacturing is unbelievable. Like I'm on... Um, the, the foil setups and like your mast is one of the best masts, if not the best mast in the sport right now. And you can tell the attention to detail that's gone at every step of the way, like how everything fits together. It's incredibly tight attention to detail at, at every level. Um, and so it seems like we're going to move from a place of smaller, more nimble, quicker to evolve companies into bigger, uh, more refined manufacturing, more refined design. Does that how you see this whole thing kind of playing out? Have you seen that before? Yeah, definitely have seen it before for okay. sure. Um, and, and maybe I'll just take a step back and and I think if you this is one of the stories I tell, I guess is is kind of if you look at surfing and how long it took from getting these longboard logs in Hawaii to to the thruster in the seventies and, and, and how long that took to progress as from a design engineering perspective, you know, fins were stuck to boards to, to having detachable um, fins and, and like that took a long time, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking 30 years. Um, and, and then I kind of look at what happened with kiteboarding. Oh, sorry. Windsurfing next. So windsurfing, you know, let's say 80s 90s that only took 20 years to progress and that was because we had manufacturing in china um or in asia or uh, low, i wouldn't even say asia but it, it's anywhere it's lower cost than, than than where you're from and i guess keeping those costs down so that you can get a mass-produced product to as many people as possible and and that provides the budget to do the r d and i guess you then i look at issue uh kiteboarding that kind of came along late 90s and within 10 years it was pretty close similar materials similar processes nothing's really changed that one just changes for sure but but you know subtle small changes you don't have that rapid um invention and development that you had in the in the, in the very first year so surfing 30 years windsurfing 20 years kiteboarding 10 years SUP came along and like within seven years, it was, it was, you went from, you know, from paddle technology to the, to the boards and the constructions, they were, they were pretty refined within sort of seven years. Um, and then, and then you look at winging and foiling and that progression is even shorter. Like it's, it's in, in three, four years, the sport's gone through, and an insane amount of development and that's all credit to those those ingenious inventive collective first first movers who 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 just you know went holy crap this is awesome let's try some all the crazy ideas we can and and those those smaller brands they they're the ones that that brought the ideas and they're the ones we've got to respect and give credit to because they're the ones that have have 
that the you know that bleeding you call it bleeding edge technology where you know back in the day making a three five thousand dollar mold that's a shit ton of money and and you know is it going to work or is it not going to work you know it, it's that they're the people that really took the risks um and i think yeah there's there's an element of of the bigger brands sort of coming in and going right how do we how do we evolve some of these concepts ideas um and and continue to make it high performance lighter weight um and hopefully more affordable um so we can get more people into the sport so i think that the two complement each other um I'm, I'm hoping and i'm hoping that you know the the small brands can can eke a living i'm hoping some of the bigger brands can eke a living um because you know they've still got shareholders to report to but but at the end of the day like we're a pretty small crew here like we're not we're not we're not a, a big team um and we just but we do know how the manufacturing process and the the processes and the 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 development levels it takes to try and get a product to market probably a little bit more than than some of the smaller brands so we do that's that's our advantage um but i'm yeah i'm hoping all the brands you know stick around and keep trying i mean the, the amount of crazy shit we've been trying recently with canard wings going to swept forward and and just all these all these different profiles and as you, i mean you, we can talk hours about foil shapes and stuff but but it's just been it's all just been changing so quickly and evolving so quickly and and you know the, the other biggest thing about the evolution which is really interesting for me is that communication like if you go back to windsurfing days 80s 90s there were fa- i remember when i first got to hong kong neil pride used to work off the fax machine the fax was going the whole time and he was reading sheets of paper this is kind of email pre-email days dude look at what we're doing and and couriers and stuff like that look at what we're doing now video conferencing perfect quality you and i talking yep. you can you can courier all your samples backwards and forwards between any supplier in the world you can video conference with anyone you can you can have development meetings like it's just it's suddenly become so much easier to communicate globally and and that has had a natural effect on development of product and i think that's why it's been so rapid in a nutshell yeah and it's been i mean for from a rider perspective i mean i'm a rider first and foremost um it's been amazing i mean the sport has been progressing along with kind of the tier of guys who started when i started about three years ago to where we can feel the limitation of gear and right when we're starting to feel the limitation of gear something new is coming out that helps us break through that limitation Um, and that has been as far as anything i've done in sports in my life it's been the most exciting and fun thing because it doesn't feel like there's a limit yet um that's just amazing and then you throw in winging which is you know i'm not great on the wing but I'm able to appreciate it. I'm actually having some really good sessions now. And that's a whole nother venue that's going to be, you know, I, I love the new wings, you know, like the, um, um, like the handles you guys have, you know, there's some like little incremental improvements that just make it so much easier. Um, yeah, so. but I mean, that, that, I mean, that's it. I mean, you, you look at this, who would have ever thought we could, you could pump the pitch of a board and get onto foil without a paddle yep like 
who would have who would have thought that there's this this movement of people who don't even need bumps and lumps. They're just dock starting and going out pumping and being above the water. Like I, I in lakes and stuff like that, you know, without surf and it, and it's just it's it, everyone's pushing it in so many different directions. Um, you know, nothing's out of bounds. Everything's possible. And you got a good idea, go give it a go. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It really is. Let's talk let's talk about foil design for a little while. And can we talk about the new high aspect foils you guys have coming out? Yeah, we can. Um, I think they're, they're launching later this week. So yes, yeah, we definitely can, for sure. Okay. Um, I, sorry, I haven't prepared anything for it, but but I can definitely rant about it, for sure. Um, that's what I am most excited about in your line right now. The, um, the efficiency on your wider span, super fast, high aspect foils um, is going to be incredible for the downwind and have you gotten to spend much time on them are you right yeah I, I i've i've i must admit the downwinding i'm only just getting into the past couple of months so i'm How did, are you finding it? Did, oh, hard work bro <laughs> it starts out as a lot of work man it gets oh, easier though such hard work it's like i mean i, I but you know that it's, it's that kind of that that um that fruit dangling above you it's like you you i know because i've been listening to all you guys and just surrounded by everybody else downwinding and i'm and i'm like just on a personal level i'm i'm kind of i can see just connecting all these little bits of energy in the ocean it's just i because we do it we do it with the wing anyway you know naturally mm -hmm. deep out of the wing and just right just it's my favorite one of my favorite things to do other than toe foiling is is getting out the back with the wing just depowering the wing and just riding bumps and lumps um, downwind and you can crank back upwind you know 10 minutes upwind and suddenly you got another k downwind so it's it's kind of on a windy day but it's not always windy like that and it's not always big swells so yeah i want to i want to i i, I want to spend a lot more time this this is a summer we're coming into it now um so with the with new ha's um you know we've got a 1450 ha highest bit ratio so i just i might just start again from the beginning with 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 the ha's they are they are not for beginners. They are not for I'd say sort of intermediate to advanced riders only. Um, they, in comparison to the ART or um, you know HS, any of the highest bit ratio wings out there at the moment, these are in our back to back testing. So we sort of buy everything and, and back to back test everything. Um, these are super super fast, um, very very efficient wings. Yep. Um, and that's kind of a credit to Uli Summerlat, our product manager, um, who's a aeronautical, uh, sorry, a naval architect and engineer who's just, he was building the, you know, the sail GP um, boats. He was, he was involved in them up until about four years ago. He was helping with the original um, manufacturing and development of those, those products. So Uli's well, got this, he's just a composite nut. You know, if it, that, and you talk about the quality of the mast and the fuse and, and the product, that's that's all down to Oli. Um, he's just been amazing. Um, he's just got this attention detail and this under it's 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 an understanding of how composites work and and the the uh, the physics behind um, how that energy is dispersed through through carbon. Um, and he's he's just he's all about that. And then in combination with 
we're, we're really, really lucky. Our parent company is North Technology Group, but we're a pretty small family, if, if it makes sense. You know, like CEO's just Richard Lotz, just this really cool cat who's just frothing about materials at the moment and how to develop the best materials. And that's, you know, from anything with Dyneema to 3DI technology with, with sailing um, big boats, we, you're putting the the orientation of the fibers is where the load goes. So it's like just all the way through the company, you got these people who are just obsessed about materials and, and engineering. And we're lucky. We've got Southern Spars um, based here in, in Auckland and they, they build all their masts and booms and rigging for America's Cup or any, any super yacht over about 60, 80 foot. They, they normally, they have about a 70% market share. So they're kind of market leader in, in that field. In combination with Rig Pro and Hall Pro and all these all these um, businesses that make um, all the stabilizers and, and um, long story short, Southern Spas who we're, we're developing we're, we develop with have, have kindly loaned us um, some of their staff and we've been working together with Uli as, as a team designing really the which loops back to these high speed ratio wings designing from a mathematical uh, mathematic um, scientific approach to the foil design, like the CFD, instead of running off, how do we think it could be? It's kind of taking all the, the math and the science and putting that first, then going out on the water and testing it to say, does it feel the way we thought it was going to feel? Um, does it perform the way we thought it was going to perform? You know, does it, what, how's the pitch? How's the roll? How's your, how does it, how does this feel for all these different sports? And and the HAs were really born of of you know most of the people coming to falling at the moment are in winging, um, and especially our market. Um, and we were just like, how do we how do we help them go a little bit faster and and be a little bit more efficient? And these wings, I I, I can't go into too much detail. I think Oli's Oli's probably a better one to dive deep on the on the foil design, um, but but. In a, in a, as an overview, these these HAs are designed to just be incredibly efficient. Um, their heel to toe roll is is pretty effortless. Like you don't need a whole lot of heel to toe energy to to roll over into the turn. Um, but and they don't have a really sudden lift. They've got a really nice gradual lift up onto foil. Yep. Um, they do have a sudden drop because they've got a really high stall speed. Yep. Um, but there's nothing else like it on the market. You know. There's there's nothing that that I don't think there's any other foils that as efficient as a family of products. I think it's like nine, ten sizes. It's like 550, 657, 58, 59, 50, 10, 50, 11, 50, 12, 50, jump up to 1450. But it's every hundred. And these are all designed at the same time. So they all feel the same. Like no matter I was out towing the Saturday um and I was riding the HA650, um, so probably double overhead high. And out the back, and and that was just towing. And at the same time, I can jump on the 850 or the 1050 for winging, um, and then I can grab that same big HA 1450 for a downwind connecting lumps and bumps of the 1250. So, as a family of products, they, and you don't. The coolest thing, Eric, you don't have to adjust your mast position. And if you really want to, you can subtly trim them if you need to with the shims. Mm-hmm. But the reality is. Using math and science, the engineers, designers have made sure that your stance position is calculated. The 
the center of volume of the board is calculated in relation to where the mast is in the center of lift from your front wing. So that combination, all those together, it's, it's just one giant mathematical formula to work out how do we make sure that how do we make sure you don't have to move your mast around too much and and or at all, in fact? And how do you make sure you get the same feeling from all of these wings or from all these different sizes? How do you make sure you've got the the same feeling and they feel the same family? Because quite often brands, a lot of designers design wings at stages and maybe things change during that stage. Well, we've we design them all at once and refine them all at once as a family through the testing. So you get this real consistency. And, and ultimately, we're just trying to make it easier for people to ride, like taking the taking the difficulty and the and the the frustration out of foiling. It's, I didn't have enough front foot pressure. What's front foot pressure? Don't worry, you don't need to know. <laughs> jump on <laughs> jump on these HAs and they should out of the box, like you know, it's what we learned as kiting, out of the box, it should work the way it's meant to. We're, we're trying to make this easier for people. Yep. Um, you know, sorry, it was a long, long reply. But the HAs are fun, dude. They're super fast. I love the 1050. Um, that's that's my favorite North Foil, and it is insanely fast. I've used it on a bunch of shore runners. And yeah, I, you know, the last one I did, and, and you have to use it. One one note on the 1050 is it's got a wide span and it should be ridden with the longer mast because yes. uh, you can breach as you're going through bumps. Um, yep. But on the longer mast, it's brilliant on shore runners, especially for speed. Like if I had to go out and race right now on a downwinder, um, that would be the foil. Yeah, I, we're getting a lot of interest from from people that, you know, just getting those first samples out there. The H850, 1050s should be launched by the time you air this podcast um, and, and definitely go check them out. But they, but the rest of the size, I think, coming early December, um, nice. the balance of the sizes. But yeah, they're, they're, they're quick, hey? And and I think Super that, but just a warning comes with that. You know, they, they do, you'll probably find the cadence of the pumps a little different um and you've got to keep them in that they it's not they're not wings that you can build speed on easily does that make sense like it's not something you can get from a from a low speed up to a high speed easily you've got to keep that keep that speed on you've got to keep them at kind of above 60 70 percent and and it's hard to build from 60 70 percent but you can get back up to that 100 but it's it's you've got to really you've got to pump them well i felt um, that they I felt that the stall speed is is a little bit higher than what I normally ride, but once yeah. I was in its range, I have no problem getting them going really fast on the pump. So yeah, I don't and I, I think experienced riders like you will, you know, they they yeah. they, they, they recognize they've got to keep that that speed range higher. It, um, but, but it, once you're higher, you're traveling longer distances. You you and especially when you're when you're at that high speed, you can just because of the efficiency, you can glide to mm. that next bump and connect. Yeah, the, the glide is fantastic on them. Um, glide and speed are really good. Glide at speed is what I would say. Is glide, yeah, good call. Glide at speed. Um, it's it's yeah. efficiency. They're just they're they're incredibly efficient. So so and here's, not for everybody. Here's an appeal I'm going to make to you that I make to everyone, and I've I've said this in one of our chats that we had, but please, please, please do a fuse that has kind of the closest thing we have to an industry standard tail mount now which is um mounts on the bottom 30 millimeter bolt at a zero angle flat yep. yep and the reason is is because i see now there are certain people and probably a big market of new people getting into the game are you just gonna 
buy a complete set and that's what they're going to be on. But then there are a huge, probably most of the listeners of the show have four or five tails that they love riding. And um, it's almost, I see it like fins on a surfboard now. Yep. You know, yep. like there's, you've got, you've got like the Kelly Slater fins or the FCS. And then you've got like the guys out of California that make the fins that fit into the boxes and they're all trippy. Yep. It's really fun to be able to experiment with that too. Yep. And yep. so I think that that would, I think you guys would sell a lot of those. And it, and I, kn- I knew you're going to ask this question. I have to, man. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And, and you know what? I, I kind of have, I, I, Ollie and I had a chat about it. And, <laughs> and I was like, I'm pretty confident Eric's going to ask this question. I'm asking you because uh, I want why, it. <laughs> why? Yeah, no, no, totally, totally, totally understand. And, and fair enough. It's, I'll, I'll start, start from another way, maybe. I think, you know, if you look at Apple versus other, other brands, you know, they've got all these components that only work for Apple. And, and that's pretty frustrating. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one it's it's the it's there's a there's an industry standard and and everyone should apply to just to make the world a better place and greener and and more efficient and and i'm I'm with you on that so i'm definitely on your side but i'm gonna push back and i'm gonna say who chose the industry standard well i'm not saying it's right but it's where we are yeah but our job is to try and make it right like Mm -hmm. we we've chosen we like it's not very often in let's look at flying as an analogy it's not very often you put your rear stabilizer in line with the drag from your front wing yeah it's not efficient we've we've consciously and, and intentionally put the rear stab higher than the front wing for two reasons one it's cleaner and it's more efficient two when you start to bring your wing, you know that we all know the worst thing that can happen is you breach. Mm-hmm. Um, good riders can recover. Riders who aren't so good can't recover. They they struggle. Um, as soon as you breach front wing, you're in trouble. If you make your rear, if you breach your rear stabilizer, doesn't it's not nowhere near as catastrophic. So what we've got is this early warning system where when you come up out of the water and you feel your rear stabs coming out. You're like shit. Early warning signal. Bells come on. Quick, front foot. Put push down that front foot. I'm, I'm about to breach, and you push down. And the amount of times I've recovered from a breach because the rear stabs close to the surface is huge. And we're in the sport to try and make it easier, not harder. So I'm going to push back, and I'm going to say it's a we we made a choice to to position the rear stabilizer in a position that we think is more efficient for the average consumer I am rather than in, go with an industry standard. I am in no way saying that you should not make your complete sets the way that they are right now. I just think there should be an add-on product that people can buy of a fuse that mounts differently so that they have access to oh, I see their nail kits. I see yeah, I don't think you should change the way you're doing product. I think it's probably correct. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I agree. But Maybe. I would I would spend $250, $350 to buy, uh, or someone's going to do it. So, you know, I mean, that's the other thing is you'll have, it's either you guys are going to do it or foil parts, um, alchemy, someone else is going to do it. And then people just buy their fuse instead. Yeah, yeah, you know? I hear you. I hear you. Oh. I mean, I, our goal also is to, is to you know, we've, we've got a range of fuses coming um, that I'm hoping should cover most of the, the applications. Yeah, um, for the different sports. So, you know, we 
you know, as I said in the beginning, like we're, we're late to the game. You know, we, we missed the first year or two. And, um, and you look at Armstrong, somebody who's been around for sort of six, seven years. And, and, you know, we've only been around for four, really. Um, and so we're playing catch up, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, but there's a, there's a benefit to that also because, you know, I can listen to you and I can follow these incredible athletes and, and, and designers, engineers around the world just sort of pushing limits of the sport. And we can, we can learn from that. And hopefully we can we can gain and, and bring something that's that's useful for the consumer customer rider. Let's talk about your wind wing line for a little bit. Um, because I've that's actually what I've spent the most time on. Uh the seek board and then the um, the Nova wings. And the Nova five is my favorite wing right now. I, I love that thing. Um oh, thank you. Specifically, I think. I love the handles and I love that they're rigid handles, but I also love how much span um, I have to play with because it's opened up like really narrow. Like my goal in all of foiling is just efficiency. Like I just yep. like to relax as much as possible. And, yeah. and I find that those handles allow me to get into a position to where I can just kind of chill most of the time. Um, maybe talk through the design process on those wings and then um yeah start there and what you love about yeah them. I, yeah, I'm, yeah i mean I, the the we we've got a we've you know a large part of the fo- the prone i'll start again the prone foiling um you know that's definitely where our passion our heart lies um however i, I think you know the wingings just it's it's becoming such a large part of the foiling business so it's 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 been really important for us to 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 develop that as far as we can and Isn't that your competitive strength too coming from kiting yeah yeah exactly because it, it kind of it started with with all the same materials you know the dacrons one 160 gram 175 gram dacrons for the inflatable structure um down to the sort of 56 gram canopy materials sort of single double triple ripstop canopy materials um so it was pretty similar and but different, you know. There's an element of windsurfing, element of sailing, because you don't have it on the end of lines. You're, you're holding onto it. So, like, how do we, how do we create a, a shape and a profile that's that's going to be well balanced, have good bottom end, have good top end, um, and still be easy to use, so you can depower it and and ride swell without, you know, actually having to 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 use the wing. But uh, the, you know, studying people, learning, and and going ourselves when we were learning in the beginning, it's like it's tiring it's exhausting and it can be um it can be really tough on your arms one of the biggest complaints i hear from anyone learning at the moment is tennis elbow and and tendonitis um because you're bending your elbows and you're effectively pulling your body weight up onto foil um the swing you know there's no harnesses are growing more and more and i highly recommend them but but um but a lot of people don't don't get that opportunity, and they go from absolutely doing nothing to yanking themselves around two three days a week by their by their elbows and their arms, and it's exhausting. So moving to a rigid uh, what we call the grip lock handlebars um, is these bars allow you to like a rock climber. I wish I had a video. If you ever imagine a rock climber, you know how they hang just on their fingertips, mm-hmm. and they don't grab onto it like a tennis racket. And what was happening is in the early days with the soft handles, we were all grabbing onto these handles with, with like, like it was a tennis racket and you get really tight, sore forearms. And eventually you develop 
um, sort of tennis elbow. The logic with the with the rigid bar is that you can hang on like a rock climber. You can, and what that does is it just relaxes all your muscles um, and means you can long last a lot longer. And the second big benefit is the ability to make micro trim adjustments. Mm-hmm. So you're able to just shift your fingers ever so much. And that makes a world of difference where the load is more balanced between your two hands while you're riding. You know, going upwind has a slightly different angle to bearing off downwind has a slightly different angle. And your hands just do these little small micro adjustments. And that, that honestly, that makes such a huge, yes, they do weigh a little bit more, but man, it makes a difference to your, to your ride and to your ability to ride longer. And the longer you can ride, the more you can progress. So we're kind of about getting people on the water for longer so they can really push the sport um, harder. You mentioned weight there, and I pinged our wing group. We've got about 15 guys here who we all try to get together for sessions and stuff. Legendary crew. And three of them right away texted back about how excited they are for your new lighter, light wind um, wings coming out. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about those? How much weight are we going to save? What sizes are you going to do them in? Um, the guys here are excited for the bigger sizes, you know, seven and eight, because we get a lot of light sea breeze days and it's kind of on that borderline. And, you know, any time on the water is good. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, cool. Thanks for, thanks for the question. Like, we've got three wings. So there, we've got the Nova, which is our go to what we call a free ride wing, meaning free ride means it does everything. You know, it's got good bottom end, it's got good top end, it's easy to handle and sizes 1.9. So you can ride around with the kids on a skateboard or a super windy day if you're, if you're a tiny person, um, all the way up to a seven meter, um, for like a heavier 200, 220 pound guy. who just wants a good free ride wing, not a light wind wing, but a, just a good bottom end, good top end, easy use for a bigger person. So as you said, the five meters seems to be the most common size, maybe four to, um, five Oh. And that's Unova, and that's in its you know third generation, uh, second generation now. Um, sorry, we're designing third at the moment, <laughs> um, but second generation, and and it's it's just a really fun, easy to use wing. Um, good upwind, good for wave riding um, or sw- riding lumps, bumps, um, swell, and and pretty good for freestyle and for jumping. So we then looked at this and thought, you know what? I for me personally, I. I look around at, at most people learning and everyone's struggling to get up on foil. And, and especially places like Florida where, where you've got, you know, these eight, 10, maybe 12 knot days where the wind's pretty moist and warm and not really very cold or dense. And, and it's hard to get up on foil. Um, and I kind of saw it in the, again, lucky because we, we saw it in windsurfing in the early days, like making windsurf sails and kites you know, the, some of the kites we designed in the early days were designed specifically for light wind, for getting you up in light conditions. And this is why we brought out the Nova light wind. It's a specific model dedicated to getting up in really light conditions. And we only brought it out in three sizes for a reason, six meter, seven meter, eight meter. So, and it's all based, you, you would only ever buy one. You'd never buy all three because it's designed specifically for your body weight. So, um, let's say you're 80 kg, 180 pound. Um, you're probably going to go for the seven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that kind of middle of the range. And if you're a lighter weight rider, you'll go for the six. If you're a heavier guy, some 200, 220, you're going to go for the, um, you're going to go for the big eight meter. 
And these wings are designed with an incredible amount of bottoming grunt and power. They have, I'll give you a warning, they have absolutely no top end. Um, they're not a free ride wing. They're, they're specifically designed, the Lightwind, Nova Lightwind is specifically designed for getting up and getting foiling in the lightest of conditions. And we were, like last summer, a year ago, we were, when we were developing this, we, the, we, we were, we, you can go out, I, sorry, I lose my voice because I get so excited. Like I never thought we were going to be able to foil, wing foil in six, eight knots of wind. Like I'm, I'm almost 200 pound and, and I never thought I was going to get up on a 1050, the wing that you have, the front wing, mm-hmm. a board of about 70, 80, 90 liters and get up on a wing. And I was, we were rocking around, giggling like schoolgirls, riding around on, on these seven meter Nova light winds because they've just got so much power. And I, and I think that's really going to talk to those customers, those riders who just getting frustrated with getting up and, and I, and I think it's going to create a new a new section of the market, which is these really specialized light wind wings. So you've just got one in your quiver. And if you're in a light wind location, if you're a strong wind location, you probably never need one. But most of us live in places with 12 knots. You know, most people don't have a lot of wind. And, and if you're going down on the weekend and you've looked at the forecast and it's been a reasonable week and you get down there and it's too light, you just get frustrated and you mowing the lawn you're taking the kids to sports you've done all your, you've done your work for the week and you get down to the beach and you can't go riding because it's it's not it's not strong enough it's just frustrating so anyway that was that was an overlight wind and then you guys have the new what's the other wing that's coming out that's the the mode yeah just just launched it um so really excited so the the mode is is a wing that's um it's material based. Um, so we, we decided, you know, you've got this general free ride wing, we've got this light wind wing. We now want a wing that's on the other end of the spectrum. So it's, it's, it's on the similar to the HAs. It's designed to be ridden at speed. Um, so it doesn't have a lot of bottom end warning. Um, it's more for intermediate to advanced riders who've been winging for a couple of years, um, or a season even. And, and they're like, you know, I've, I've got the pump technique now. Um, that, and if, and that's kind of like the prerequisite to, to going and riding the mode, you need to have some pump technique to get up on, on plane. And what I mean by pump is just to, the ability with your, your aero wing, the mode to, to reach forward and pump the air and pull yourself up onto plane. Once you're up on plane, they've just got an insane top end speed and you can hold on to these things in so much wind. Like I, I've been out in that four two up to forty knots where there's wind eddies running through the through across the water, and I'm comfortably riding around. We're well, not quite at that stage, but you know thirty thirty five. I was comfortably riding around on this wing, blown away by the top end. It's like suddenly you've got the ability to hold this thing down in more wind than you ever have any other wing before, and this all comes down to the material that we've used. I mentioned before the um, the North Technology Group, as our parent company, owns North Sales, mm-hmm. and North Sales is is a has a, a um, advanced textiles uh, development section um, within the company. They're, they're based in Minden, in the border in the US, and and in Sri Lanka, um, and North North Advanced Textiles in Sri Lanka, and they they have the ability they they make these. And I think I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, they make these amazing materials. So we've taken one of these materials, and it's called Enweave. And Enweave is effectively made up of Dyneema. And Dyneema is just an incredibly 
low uh, low stretch material. So it's elongation. It does not elongate. It doesn't stretch. It just hits a limit, and that's it. It won't go any further. So what that means is we we effectively pre-stretch this this UPE or this um, UPE, and and we we weave it in to a weave, and that's about thirty percent polyester and about sixty plus percent UPE. And what it basically, and long story short, it means it's three times stiffer than a normal Dacron. Um, and it's approximately 35, 40% lighter wow. than your standard Dacrons. Um, and the coolest thing is it's super durable. Like it's, you can, you can puncture, you've probably seen it. So many people sort of puncture their inflated structures with, you know, your rear stab or your front wing or, you know, even the trailing edge of your, of your mast. And, and so we looked at that and thought, tick, 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 you know, it's ticking a lot of boxes. And it took a while to develop a long time. And we're still developing it now. You know, it's, it's, it's been a really intensive project, but it means that we're able to make a frame that's incredibly rigid. And what that gives you as a rider means that like, I've, I've been writing it for a year and a half now. And I've just been like, we were blowing them up heaps in the beginning, like um, exploding them all the time. And, and it took a huge <laughs> amount of time to get the construction construction right. Um, there's de- just go and check. There's a video designers notes or, or materials um, on the YouTube channel or on, on the website. They're definitely worth a look. And there's a guy called um, Dave Little, um, who's who's helping us with materials and managing all our materials for us. And and he's come from America's Cup background and, and he's joined the North team about two years ago. And it's taken us a lot longer than we planned to bring this material to market, but um, it's a full credit to the team uh, to get to where we've got to. And and this this material just, and then in combination, as she'll just mention now, our wing designer, Dan O.C., um, who's who's designing all of our wings and our wave kite? Um, just incredible history of again twenty plus years of of designing kites and and now wings in the past four or five years. Um, in combination with another guy who's really interesting, if you ever get a chance to look him up as well, is Steve Kelder, um, who works for North Sales, um, is one of their their lead boat sail designers. Um, so he designs all the you know from America's Cup to to any of those, any of the racing yachts around the world is, is in huge high demand. And we've been incredibly lucky to, for him just because he's passionate about winging and, and kiting. Um, he lives in Florida as well. So definitely worth a hookup if you want a coffee with him. He's a really interesting character. Um, but it, and, and just the combination of all these people together, long story short, the, the frame is super rigid. Um, the performance of the wing is really high, but what it allows you to do is travel across the water really fast. And as everyone knows with winging, the faster you go, the higher you jump. So the quicker through the water you can go, you change the angle of the board, and then the foil just shoots you up out of the water. And because you've got this rigid frame, you now have this hang time that you never had before. Like previously, as you're coming down, the wing would fold and you drop like a rock. Now the wing stays really rigid on the mode, and you come in with forward momentum. And you know, you know, from winging foiling, if you come with forward momentum, that means you're going to pop up and, or stay on the foil for longer. So you're now going faster, jumping higher, and landing with forward. Like you've got this hang time where you land with forward momentum, which gets you back up on foil. So we, in the beginning, kind of thought, you know, this is more for people just to go fast, blast around, go fast. But then we discovered, like all our um, Fabian and Chucho and some of our riders for the winging side, that and Bohin, they're all like. Busting out these sick freestyle moves because 
they're just saying, hey, look, it's also really good for freestyle. Um, so no, we're we're now we we sorry to summarize, we're we're really 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 excited. It's it's the first time I think we've really had a product that is is ahead of our competitors, and we're really starting to to lead and inspire. Hopefully, with with you know, it'll be, I'm hoping it'll be one of the next new hot products for for the next year or so. Um, and in combination with the work we're doing with the foils and the HAs, they they pair beautifully. So yeah, really excited. What did what I get excited about thinking about lighter, stiffer technology is, I mean, all I really do on the wing is I go out on kind of downwind days and I just use it as a personal jet ski so I can go catch bumps and surf. Nice. Um, and being lighter and more rigid, to me, uh, I think that it would be easier to fly kind of depowered. Yeah. Because you want yeah. the most minimal wing possible. Wing yeah. yeah. When, when you're depowered. And so that's why I get excited about lighter technologies or, or maybe even rigid technologies too. Oh, we've got to get you. We'll get as soon as we can. There, honestly, Eric, they're in they're in hot demand. At the moment. We haven't got enough out there, but as soon as we can, I'll try and I'll try and get you. Get oh, your no, of no worries. Um, do you have? We've just come up on an hour and a half. That's what we were scheduled for. Do you have? Oh, sorry, bro. oh no, we're good, man. I'm good. I just want to be respectful of your time. I know you're. Busy. I'm good. I've just got my. I do have to leave in about thirty. I've got my daughter's in nationals water polo, and it's just. Oh, epic! Course. I've got to go and uh, go and watch that. That's fun. Uh, yeah, well, let's do me. this. I do. Uh, just started this a few few a few shows ago. Eleven questions um, can be quick answers, but kind of broad spectrum. Um, you good for that? Yeah, go for it. How do you define success, Mike? Happiness. Um, yeah, happiness. Man, it it just all the successful people in life have have a balance of happiness, um, and I don't. It's hard to get success without happiness um and i think yeah i mean success, god success success has been yeah it's being being content being i'm not being content wrong word being happy in what you do um yeah being being happy in what you do okay which ties directly into number two how do you define happiness cool <laughs> Um, is, is having the ability to chase what you're passionate about, um, and while being supported by those that you love and, and everyone around you. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm super privileged to, to have really solid parents and family and, and my wife and the kids and, and the life I live at the moment. And, you know, we're just, uh, I just getting a balance, a little bit of everything, you know, it's not just, it's not just the foiling, it's, it's getting you know lots of different aspects of your life that are that you know i'm just interested in stuff so it's like you no know, it's, it's it's not easy it's not, i never never really get bored there's always something fun to do so i think happiness is is having a balance what motivates you at this point in your life oh dude it, uh everybody around me and and you uh like everything from what you're doing on a forward to what from Klama to Adam to you name it, like just uh, I I know everyone gives social media a big knock, and I'm I'm 100 behind that. And but it's also pretty damn inspiring. Like I, I just watch you know from Kiahi riding a wave to Fabi and Chucho and Bohin and and all all our riders just watching them carve up a wave face is just man, it's just beautiful. And, and, and out like, a, I'm just coming back to kiteboarding, you know, the, just the stuff that our pro riders, our international team are doing at the moment is just insane. 
like the big air movement for kiteboarding is 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 amazing. So it's it's that's that's what really inspires me. You mentioned social media there. I feel like we could have a whole nother podcast just on <laughs> social media, like the evils, the benefits. This is a conversation that I've been having with a couple um really smart friends, um, guys way smarter than I am. And you know, I they tend to hate it a lot more than I do. And I see their points, but what it's done for sports I love and the community of foiling and um, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. positives in there as well, even totally. though I see all the negatives. Totally. Know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we've, you know, we've got to have a marketing team based here. So we spend a lot of time talking about social media and, and how to it's, but I, I think it's more about talking about connection. How do you connect with other people and, mm-hmm. and how do you connect with the message? You know, there's, there's as a brand, our, you know, our, our core values uh, are critically important and, and how we, how we share, you know, we've got this heritage from sailing, but it's, it's moved into all these different water sports, wind sports, sea sports, surf sports. And it's all, and, and how we, how we interact between and how we share that love of the ocean and, and or nature and that, and, and how that, that all connects on, on an everyday basis and, and how we're sort of inspired yet humbled by nature's engineering genius it's um she's beautiful intuitive and simple and, and i think you know a lot of these these sports that we do are so cutting edge but they're they're beautifully intertwined with nature and sharing that message of sharing that that love and that passion for what we do i think that's what that's what i wouldn't just say social media but i, I think all the different touch points you know it's like how can we share that with more people how can we get more people stoked on what we do um and and social media is i mean if it, if some kid pops up and goes you know what i've been looking at social media and suddenly this foil pops up or whatever on their on their on their feed they go wow what's that you know mm-hmm. that's that's kind of cool because maybe next time they're down at the beach or the lake or the river you know they'll go hi you know mum, dad can i can i give that a go um you know, maybe, or maybe they're a young grom, you know, it's just, or an, or an adult, you know, it's, it's somebody who's gone, you know what, I've, you know, I'm, I'm doing like you and I, like doing the daily grind. And, and now I want to, want to try something different in life. And, and, and if we can just perk their attention, disrupt their, their feed for a second, a moment for them to go, wow, that looks fucking cool. You know, that's, that's, that's where I think social media has got a, a positive. Sorry, that was a really long reply. No, but, but a good one, but a good one. I, you know, I, look at the progression in surfing you know growing up in the 90s and waiting for the you know the next video to come out you know you went down to the surf shop and bought it so you could see what was happening in california yeah. versus yeah. now and wore, the, wore the tape out <laughs> yeah six months later they've been working on those tricks for six months before anyone saw them on the east coast right yeah, yeah. and now it's like you know somebody does something new and you get shit. that afternoon and what it's done it's just like I don't know, jet fuel on the fire, nitro. It's amazing. Man, it's inspirational. But I mean, like, you know, from Austin Toby to whoever it may be, like you just oh. see these, these, these writers, Kai and Jesse Richmond, and these guys just just trying all this. I mean, yeah, yeah it's it's pretty inspirational. Well, yeah. You mentioned Austin there. What a legend. And he kites for you guys. It's so sick. Yeah. Um, getting to watch yeah. him in the water all the time. Yeah, great writer, and and his super like and but him and um, who's his friend? 
Uh, water. Oh, Noah. Noah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, the university students through school together, uh, through university together, just went wakeboarding every day and, yeah. and built their core skills from skim and wake and and wakeboarding and wake surfing and and then crossed over. Like, there's just so many different angles you can come at the sport from, and and I love the the diversity of it all. All right, back to the questions. What's your proudest foiling <laughs> accomplishment? Proudest foiling accomplishment? Yeah, what's the um, getting barrel? Getting barreled, dude. About a month ago, um, toe foiling. Uh, do you, do you have do you have photo proof of this happening? Dude, you've seen my Insta. I've got nothing on Insta. <laughs> I'm, I'm a shocker. Um, no, I like I pour all my energy into the into the brand. Yeah, I know. Not, not my personal one, but but uh, no, didn't. Um, and but but I, I'll never forget it. it. It's it's I I was I think it's always been a goal. It's like, could you get barreled on a foil? I don't know. And and. Uh, we just had this double overhead high day. I was just, I just, I, we've got this really nice little peak. Uh, it's on the East Coast called Mangafai. And we've got a holiday home there. So it's just about an hour away. And it's just this really fun, normally two to three foot. Uh, so it's like, you know, head high, shoulder head high, which is perfect. Anywhere between waist to shoulder high. Um, but this day we had, it's a, it's a sandbar and it's got this real peak to it. And it was, it was, oh man almost double overhead and it's it's just this really pointy sand break and it just throws so it means you can backdoor it and with and because you're on a ski with the ha high speed ratio wings um i think it was a 650 ha 650 so pretty small front wing with a like a 208 rear stab size on a 700 fuse 85 mast um four foot one board and and you can and this is strapless so, but you coming from back, you can back to all this wave. And I've been looking at a kit, you know, there's so many times you come up to you go, nah, and you kind of bug out. <laughs> and, go, right. and then this time I was like, you know what? It's a sandy bottom. Uh, it's early in the session. I'm not too tired. It's a beautiful day. Um, there's no one else around. The surfers were at that stage had, had just moved out to the sides. So there was enough room. And I was like, because you we're massive, we respect the ship's surface. We'll go into that another time. But, but, and I just thought, stuff it. And I just pulled in and I've had it on my shoulder. Like I can, I've, I've had it on my back quite a few times, but I've never looked up and actually, actually gone a little bit of a cover up. And I just came out and, and oh, I've had man. the biggest smile on my face ever since. That That's my proudest moment next to having birth of my kids and meeting my wife. It's, it's like, it's, <laughs> I said foiling it's, a compliment. Oh, you're good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I qualified. Um, what's your best foil trip? Favorite? destination on foil shoot i'd hate to say it but like what well, because of covid we've been so restricted on travel um uh, yeah so it's 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 been tough like yeah but i i'm gonna say new zealand because you know we're, we're so lucky we're dude we're down in the middle of the roaring 40s we've got a coast that we've got a country that's so long and thin vertically it gets swell from the east coast and it gets swell on the west coast. So there's never a day without surf. And then you throw in some of these amazing surf breaks on the east coast and west coast. So Raglan, I think I mentioned it with Daniel Kiriopa, um, mm. down in, and, and Hugh Pinfold, our, our, one of our engineers designers is based down in Raglan. So, you know, that's, that's got these, this amazing, some amazing breaks down there. But my, my all time favorite is my arguably my home break, which is not actually Auckland. It's, I mentioned the, Mungify up on the east coast by Narraway, and because uh, I can, I can 
get there pretty quickly usually after work for work and and go riding and testing and it's just this this long rocky um in fact i'm not even going to talk about it too much because i don't want anyone to, to go yeah. there so i'm actually going to hold back it's a I, there's a beautiful home spot on the east coast of, of new zealand and i absolutely love it i'm going to stop there what's your favorite marine animal to see on on ron's winging um or downwinding or um anything on the water and, and what's the best story oh, favorite animal to see i mean i think it's still dolphins but they've really put me off recently um <laughs> how so i've never dude, heard the, the last last summer <laughs> like so we yeah we i mean you always falling with dolphins so cool yeah. happens probably one out of three sessions um we're just lucky we got a we got a nature marine reserve just south of, of where we are and and you, you're out there beautiful clear water dolphins playing around i'm thinking yeah this is sweet last summer they started coming up and because you're winging you're not changing direction too much so you're kind of in a straight line and pr- i mean proning as well but but for the wing it happened when we were winging and this freaking dolphin comes up and I love dolphins, but this, and he starts nudging the wingtip and fully knocks me off the, off the board. While you're riding. Like, while I'm riding. And it's like, I'm just right, minding my own business, <laughs> obviously in his world, um, her world, but, but just comes up and fully knocks me off. I'm like, what was that about? And, and I'm not sure if it, <laughs> I think, I think they were playing, but I'm not, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder, is it, is it an aggressive thing? Maybe, probably not, but I'd love to know if anyone knows anything about dolphins, hit me up. Cause I'd, 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 I'm really, really curious if, if it, if it was intentional or not. I mean, it was obviously it was intentional, but if it was meant as a defense or if it was just playing with us. Um, and it's kind of been, I've been wondering, is there a element that we're kind of coming into their world a little bit too much and maybe we should be more respectful, you know, maybe when the, the dolphins do come instead of, carry on doing what you're doing, do you actually just stop and let them go through? Or, you know, do you try not to disturb the natural habitat? I don't know. It's, but yeah, that was, that, that was one. Hey, and then sharks, man, sharks pretty cool, but the, the, the pretty, I mean, we had one session last summer and, and I was out, I think we did about 30 K I had the GPS on. And in a couple of hours, seven sharks of varying sizes. It's like, wow. there's a lot out there. Eh? There's a lot, but they just don't, they're, they're so scared of us. They're yeah. so, they just want to stay away. Um, but they're, they're pretty beautiful, like the hammers, and they just sit just under the just under the water, and they're, they're pretty majestic when you get to see them. I never realized how many shark were off, offshore here until I started downwinding. And then you'd see, you know, one, two, three in a run. And that's yeah. just, you know, within my visual field of what, yeah. 30, 40 feet of what I'm looking on my run? I mean, yeah. There's got to yeah. be a, a lot dude, more. I mean, you, you think the old days, like when I was kiting, it was always windy. So the you get that that wind shear across the water, and it kind of reduces the visibility through mm-hmm. the surface down into the water. So you just didn't see them, and you didn't have a big giant foil underneath you either. So you went, you were lower to the water. Winging, you're riding in much lighter conditions, so you're much higher above the water. You can see through it, and just the number of sharks out there. Jeez. Yeah. Keeps them. Keeps them. Uh, but they, they don't. They don't want us. You know, it's a. It's okay. Um, what music are you? Do you use music to get hype before sessions? And if so, what are you listening to? Oh, music. Um, oh, I'm kind of. I'm bonobo. 
I'm kind of going deep on Bonobo at the moment, but I make, I change. I love music. Absolutely froth love music. My daughter loves it. She shares stuff with me. Like it's something we share on a, on a kind of weekly basis almost. Um, she's pretty obsessed by it and, and I love it. And I think it's just, she's just grown up because I always, I always play it pretty loud and fairly diverse. It's, I listen to, I mean, but my go-to probably dub reggae um, roots is, is probably my, my go-to, but, but I'll, I listen to everything and anything. Um, absolutely anything. I've got, yeah. You name it. How do you but, manage uh, your, uh, how do you manage your foil life balance? And do you do, do you do a good job of it? It's pretty, I mean, wife's incredibly understanding. Um, I think it's the best way of putting it. Um, and my kids, my whole family. Um, you know, I, I, I'm lucky I get to go on the water once, twice a week with work for testing. It could be kite boarding, could be kite foiling, could be foiling, wing foiling, prone foiling, towing, whatever it is. And and so I'm, I, I get a lot of that. Unfortunately, though, that riding is not, it's not, I wouldn't say it's fun, but it's, you still enjoy it. And it's, you know, down the water is way better than down in the office. But, but it's, it's hard work. You know, you're, you're going out, you're back to back and you, you really, it's a hard grind. And quite often, especially because we ride all the way through winter here. And it's, you know, you're out there in a four, three wetsuit. We don't have to wear booties and gloves and hats, uh, helmets in winter. So we're quite lucky, but, but it's still cold, you know, and, and you're expanding energy and it's exhausting. And it's, and then, then I've got, what I call my my time where I just I go and ride for me. And I think the that normally happens in weekends. Um, you know, occasionally you get a good sesh, but 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 most of the time that happens for me. And my family is just really cool at, at at letting me do that. And you know, most of the time it's early, I just get up at sort of five, six in the morning and go for a few hours and I'm normally back sort of late morning on a Saturday morning or a or a Sunday morning. And it's and that's enough. You know, that's or we're up, up north and and, and I hold it home and, and I'm able, it's all just, it's playground right in front. And they're normally with me anyway at that stage. So it's, uh, no, I'm, I'm lucky to, to find that balance. I mean, obviously with work, you know, we've got a, it's a large international multi, um, multifaceted business that's, that's got a huge amount of work, a lot of staff. So it's, it's a uh, getting, being able to shred and, and let that stress come off me mm-hmm. so that I can get, and those, I value those moments in the water every time. Like you talk to anyone, I'm always just the biggest frother on the water because I'm, because I'm happy on the water, um, and not in the office. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to find a balance. It's definitely it's it's not easy, and it always changes. You're probably the same though, eh? Um, yeah, I, I um I've gone through a lot of different phases of it. You know, um, I had. Uh, a very uh, a business in Costa Rica while we lived there for 11 years that was incredibly intense and so it was a much mm. more difficult challenge um but then uh, when we exited that business I and started focusing more on fun things that work and fun have kind of been more intertwined mm. um, so the the last few I mean we had to deal with a bunch of stuff when we moved back to the states and um, oh with your wife's sickness and yeah with all that yeah. and so kind of like reprioritized everything and and then foiling kind of saved me man like if i'm being honest like it was a it was a pretty dark period until foiling came along and i think that's part of the reason i'm so passionate about it was like you know after getting barreled you know most days for over a decade coming back to being a surfer in florida is about the worst. (laughs) that would be purgatory 
It was terrible. The shit I was yeah. doing to try to like the states was just so dumb. And, and then foiling came through and and yeah it's like yeah so my wife is incredibly so she's like the best person i've ever met and that's why i married her i guess but um yeah lucky man nice she nice. she's my she's my ride on the downwind runs <laughs> she yeah. picks me up yeah. wonderful oh, good on her that's, uh, that's epic that's yeah. epic man and and dude i'm just hoping like we, how lucky are we though you know we've got We've got access to all these incredible sports. The frustration is they're expensive and yep. they're challenging to get into. So, like, that's why I do a podcast. Conversations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, from my, I'm, I'm just kind of looking, you know, I'm in my late 40s and I'm, and I'm sort of looking forward in life and saying, you know, what's, there's, I think there's an element of me that, that I really want to share this with more people. And, mm. And I'd love to get some great minds together. If anyone's listening out there, like just how do we, how do we, yeah, sorry, it's a long podcast as well, probably. So, but if anyone's listening out there, how do we, how do we get more people into the sport? Like, how do we make it more accessible? Cause I, I think there's so many people who haven't found or just not happy or just, just find themselves in a, in a bad state at certain times in their lives. And, and like all these water sports, just especially boiling, is just like, it's just, it's so invigorating. It's so, so rewarding on so many levels from fitness to to health to mindset to the people you meet you know it's like the community is just epic we need um, to do some sort of <clears throat> sorry we need to do some sort of outreach for like um close-minded florida surfers i'm sure they're surfers like this but dude I mean, don't forget them just to ignore them they're not going to surfing so narrow-minded and closed broad generalization but there's going to be an aha moment at some point because it is a hundred times we just had good hurricane swell like mm. good i had some of the better days i've had surfing in florida over the last month nice. and it's still 10 to 100 times more fun for me to so foil two foot at eight second yeah little chop yeah. out back and Never surfing and so you're a good better. surfer that's taking you how long to get to that level you know yeah it's it's not an easy sport either yeah and i still love surfing but mm. boiling is just i mean i think it's the efficiency thing it's the time of ride thing it's the variation and activity all of that i mean well that's right kind of i look at the winging and and you know or boat foiling it's like that's i think that's the entry point for a lot of people um and if you can make that easier and, and find ways to get more people into it through that through that avenue, I think um, you go into every city and just basically sponsor some of the best surfers, the close-minded surfers. Just almost put them on a team, and like yeah. you know, like get them just because once you feel the glide one time, you just mm. have to get them from mm. you know skeptic to feeling the glide, and then that hook sets. Yeah, and it's off to the races. But that, that, that's just up to us as as a group of foilers, foil frothers. You know, we we've just got a, it's it's pulling all your friends, your family, uh, everybody you know, and and instead of going right, today's about me, just me. Today's actually going to be about I'm going to try and get, you know, uh, two friends up and foiling behind a boat today. Like I'm going to try really hard to get them going. You know. Um, hopefully they've got fitness and strength and coordination to, 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 to get that going, but it, that takes time. That takes energy. And it's like, it's this army of instructors and coaches and centers and schools and shops, you know, the, the shops are a huge advocate for, um, for getting more people into the sport. It's just, how do we, how do we grow this thing we love, you know? And 
I'm probably pissing off some people in this conversation because they're like, we don't want, you know, falling to be like a thousand people bobbing out there like surfing. Um, but I think it's okay. You know, I, I think, I think foiling, there's enough breaks that are not surf breaks that you can have an incredible time. And it's, it's bigger than surfing, you know, it's got more opportunity. I think that really depends on location because I get a lot of feedback, you know, Mike and I'll be on the show, Pedigo, and we'll be talking about kind of how infinite foiling is here. And the guys from California and Hawaii will hit us up and be like, dude, it's not like that here. Um, I think it really depends on, on where you are. That's why I'm so stoked on winging and downwind is because I don't see those being much different. Anywhere. Yeah. If you're in a, in a, in a lake in Europe and it's a long enough lake, you've got a good size lump going. That, that you can fully depower your wing and, and carve the shit out of it. Wow. Um, and and vice versa, like, you know, there's there's so many places in the world where you can go flat water, bit of wind, paddle out on a foil board. You can safely paddle back in on a foil board. You know, if you get in trouble, you just let go of your wing, uh, your wind wing, yep. and and you're standing on the board. You know, it's 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 really safe. And and I think that's where the wingings, you know, and you don't need – it's – Precursor definitely advise having an instructor, but you can learn from your friend's family on winging. You know, you can have a, a mate teach you. It's it's not like kiteboarding where there's a much higher level of of safety security. Well, Mike, we are up against it. If you got to leave here in a couple of minutes, so I will close this out with first. Thank you very much for coming on the show. This is awesome to finally get to connect after a long time of of. <laughs> trying to make it work Um, so so huge thanks it was as good as i thought it was going to be i learned a lot and what do you want to leave us with oh man just uh thank i just want to say massive thank you for doing what you do um and wishing all the best luck with your your design journey uh, which i love we haven't even gone down that road but i I let's i love listening to it um but sharing the stoke um sharing this passion sharing the sport we have like just let's just keep sharing it because it's 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 pretty special um and it's it's pretty unique and i don't know if you can find a better balance of of technology and nature together um just just and you know that humbling i always talk about it but that 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 beautiful humbling connection with with nature and and with these incredible toys that allow us to carve the heck out of the ocean it's pretty fun so yeah please share the stoke and get somebody going get somebody going that you didn't you know maybe they've been sitting on the sidelines for a while try and get them out on the water your grumpy surf buddies um yeah well mike thank you so much for doing this i hope your daughter absolutely crushes it today thank you appreciate it (laughs) thanks eric really appreciate it good talking to you man Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric.